0: this episode of the football faithful is brought to you by carling now we've all gone to the bar to buy a drink and carrying one glass well that's okay two glasses that's all right too but three and things start to get a little bit difficult you need to start doing that little triangle and four well that's pro level pint carrying but carling i come up with a solution. They've got a new glass that has got lots of little grooves in the top and a narrower bottom, so that means you can carry four, no problem at all. So next time you need to go to the bar to buy a round, make them a carling.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Football Faithful podcast, and it's uh, well, it's another season and it's another season of this podcast. My name's Sam Steen, and joining me to go through a big weekend of Premier League action, as always, is Peter Henry. Hi, Peter.
2: Evening, all.
1: And Colin Bowie's there as well. Hi, Colin. How are you lad? Anthony Kelly's there too. Hi, Ant. Uh, it's a brand new season, but we're going to start this episode like we do every single episode. And that's, uh, well, finding out your moment of the week, which this season is brought to you by Carling. Peter, you go first.
2: Yeah, I'm actually going to go with the same answer I used on the opening day and the opening podcast of last season. But I just can't give another answer because I wouldn't be, wouldn't be true to myself, Sam. Um, my moment of the week or moment... Oh, whenever a new season is starting, is always the first match of the day. Um, I'm like a kid at Christmas, waiting for match of the day to come on. It's my favorite TV show ever. Um, I miss Gary Lineker over over the summer months, if I'm honest. And uh, just when when you hear that music, it's just a magical feeling. No matter what's going on in your life, you know you're in for a treat for the next hour or so. So uh, yeah, always for me on the first podcast first podcast of the season, my answer will always be the first match of the day was my favourite moment because th- that's when I really feel that the football is back. You know, you you, you pour yourself a beer, you, you lie down on the couch and you watch match of the day and, uh, you know, the good times are going to start rolling in again. Not bad, not bad. Uh, call him yourself.
3: Um, i got to go for the, uh, the final goal in Manchester United, demolition of Chelsea at Old Trafford. Uh, but Daniel James, you know, it's uh, well-established what happened to him over the summer, losing his dad, you know, right after signing, making his dream move to Old Trafford and losing him at 21. But just, like, the sheer, genuine joy in his face when he scored and ran over to the corner flag, almost overwhelmed by it all. And being surrounded, I think, I think every single outfield player ran over to him to celebrate with him. You know, for, for obviously, for a variety of reasons, they scored a fourth goal against Chelsea. It's an emphatic victory against... Uh, a team very similar in quality, and people are delighted for him anyway because it's his debut. But I think because of what he's been through, and he seems to be such a genuinely nice fella. And I also, what struck me was, no matter what happens to Daniel James at Manchester United, it could well, for, even if it turns out to be a disaster, which it probably won't. But if he does nothing again, he'll always have had that in his debut, and it, that's great when that happens to people. But I think he will have a, a long career at United, but. That was some start and he was just so genuinely happy and it was like i watched it back again about an hour ago and it's like it's pretty much heartwarming and it's you know we're getting increasingly cynical watching football and for very valid reasons but that was one of the the nice moments so yeah Daniel game celebration for me
1: yeah yeah that that joy was was fantastic and i mean you know it, it's nice to see a a young player do so well Well, young players slash you know Labradoodle puppy. <laughs> he just comes across that kind of way. Uh, anyway, Ant yourself. What's your moment of the weekend?
4: Yeah, mine's on a similar vein to Colin. Really, um, watching the um, watching this the wild celebrations when Billy Sharp got his equaliser for Sheffield United against Bournemouth. Um, I don't know if any, anyone's really followed the sort of plight of Sheffield United over the past sort of twelve years since they got relegated from the Premier League, then down to League One. And obviously, Billy Sharp is like uh, Mr. Sheffield um, for them. And um, just to look on his face when he scored, running to the fans and like you know just jumping into the crowd with them and massive parley on with all the other players, it's just good. To see. It's just great to see. You know, as I say, I, I'm not a Sheffield United fan in, in any way, shape or form. But you know, there is there is a lot of um, sort of cynicism and and sort of just general players being fake and faking it with celebrations. But you can see with Sharp how much it meant to him. I think he's the uh, the highest scoring Englishman. Um, currently still active in all four divisions of English football, but that was his first Premier League goal ever at 33 as well. So it was just really, just a really nice moment for him personally, and I was genuinely, genuinely pleased with the Sheffield United fans because they were fantastic at Bournemouth. So yeah, it was pretty special for them.
1: Very good, and uh, we should say as well to people listening: if you want to send us your moments of the week, that'd be great. But uh, now it's time to get on to, well, the meat of the weekend and the big games that happened. So West Ham uh, began their season with a loss to the champions, a 5-0 loss. And Peter, are, are City going to relinquish their lead at the top of the table? Is this it now? Is that is this the season over? City top and that's it? Yeah, to be
2: honest, I wouldn't be... Look, I I, I, I think City will definitely win the league and I think they'll win it by a much much more handsome margin than they did last season. Um, look, I, I don't know if, if they'll stay on top you know <clears throat> over the next few weeks and right the way through but i think you know after 10 games they'll be top and they won't be coming back um but yeah listen like kind of statement performances by by man- that was a statement performance by man city and by liverpool as well like they, they didn't even play well in the first half city and then they just went up a gear in the second half and absolutely tore west ham to to pieces and I know West Ham, it seems like every season we kind of say, oh, they look like they have a, a good group of players there. But th- that West Ham team looks really decent, especially the, fir- the front kind of front four or five players, probably a, maybe a bit weak at the back. But uh, City just tore them to, to shreds. Raheem Sterling, you know, sometimes players have kind of big seasons for, you know, maybe one or two years they're performing at the at the top level but you know this is probably the third season in a row now where he's looks like he's going to put up kind of upper echelon numbers again in terms of goals and he he also provides a lot a lot of assists he looks to just be going from absolute strength to strength um de bruyne really clicked into gear in the second half he he's just a frightening uh, prospect when when he's on his game um yeah it, it, it's it's I, you know, it's quite weird. I think I've said it about City before. As much as I appreciate their brilliance, I, I'm actually, I kind of find them boring to watch because you know that they're just going to destroy the other team, and the other team doesn't really have a hope most of the time. Um that, I actually found myself kind of flicking off and watching something else during parts of it because they're so good, it's almost boring. I know that sounds so excellent. much
4: mechanical, piece, isn't it? It's yeah, almost mechanical, isn't it? People
2: would it say, be? "Oh, you know, you should." You know, if you love football, you should enjoy watching it. But any anything that you see repeatedly just becomes a bit dull, even though it is, you know, aesthetically beautiful football. Um, yeah, they, they just, they look fierce. And Riyad Mahrez really stepped up. You know, he was a player when we did the pod during the summer about about uh, different players we thought needed to up their game a bit. He definitely looked, uh, he, he definitely, that was probably the best I've seen him over the course of a 90 minutes for City and... I think I'd say he well knows that with Sané out injured, he's going to play a much more prominent role as well. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely fearsome by City. And, you know, I, I don't, like I said, right at the top, I'm not sure, you know, Liverpool could win next weekend by a couple of goals or whatever it might be. And they might go ahead of City, but I think in the long term, nobody's going to touch that City team.
4: As Pete was saying, City do look pretty ferocious and pretty fearsome. But there's, he, I think he kind of touched on it, um, alluding to West Ham's quality. And there's a few other clubs in that sort of bracket, like Leicester and Everton Wolves, who have significantly strengthened over the summer. But I think Saturday, uh, West Ham City was a bit of a statement result. And an almost kind of sobering moment when you realise... You know the the, the class between City and, and, and a lot of the rest of the Premier League. West Ham are no mugs; they're a good team, but he just they just didn't have any sort of response to City's movements. I mean, um, Sterling just didn't stop all game. His his movement was ferocious and very clever, and he linked up well with Jesus. Um, you, you could see them, and they weren't very good in the first half, of City either. But they had that moment with the first goal where you can see Walker's just going up the wing, and he's drawing players out of position. And you can see the defence is completely torn between trying to drop deep and and cover the runners arriving from the from deep, or trying to cover um, cover the run from Kyle Walker. And it, when you've got that level of quality all over the pitch, it, it is pretty intimidating. And um, you, you're you're looking for sort of chinks of light uh, as as the sort of teams chasing chasing City and chasing Pack. and it's so hard to see. You've got quality all over the pitch. I say they lose Sunny for the season, but Maris steps up, and Maris is a perfectly fine player I suppose the only um, crumb for comfort for Liverpool or Spurs or whoever may be trying to chase them is that there may be a bit more pressure on City to try and win the Champions League this season Um, so maybe their attention will be more focused on that but they've certainly got the strength and depth to focus on both of those fronts Um, so it'll just be be interesting to see how they get, get on in Europe I suppose
2: Rodri's fitted right in as well, doesn't he? He doesn't look phased yeah. at all. Um he's been he's looked really impressive. A couple of hairy moments in the community shield, but like yeah, we caught him out of like the
4: community shield he, a couple of times, didn't we? But he does look he looks like he slots in, doesn't he? Yeah, you're kinda that's you're saying about
2: like little crumbs. You might maybe say, you know, should they have signed another centre back, but like Rodri looks yeah he he's just slotted into that defensive midfield role. He doesn't like the physicality or the pace of the Premier League doesn't seem to be an issue for him um yeah they're, they're, it's it's a frightening squad. it's a frightening squad lads it really is like
1: Colum, um, Ant um mentioned West Ham a little bit there, but I think maybe it wasn't last week. I think we were saying that oh, they look like they've done some good business, and you know kicking off your season with a five nil home loss isn't great, but is that just you know well, it's city?
3: Well, we're getting to the stage now where if you lose five 0 at home to Manchester City, you're saying no shame. No shame in that. Uh, considering City were without Bernardo Silva and Fernandinho as well. Which is scary early in. But no, it's it's tough to say with West Ham. I was surprised to see Jack Wilshire playing. Um, I thought that was gonna be one of those moves that he would just he would just peter out like it had done, and then he would just quietly leave maybe in January or just get released or just, they agree to a mutual termination, but he started, but he was hauled off, and Declan Rice had to keep or try to keep the whole thing going in midfield. And you could see he was just totally exasperated about halfway through the second half. Like, bear in mind, that one of City's goals was ruled out because of VAR, so it could have been six 0 when Jesus passed into an empty net. So it was very, very, very marginally ruled offside. But um, fairness to Manuel Pellegrini, he went for it again. City they started their their new central forward, Sebastian Haller. They had Felipe Anderson. Uh, Manuel Lanzini and Fabio, um, or was it Fornells, Pablo Fornals So they had all of those guys starting, um, and but it, they're just defense is so porous. Like, but it's hard to tell West Ham. They could go e- either way, but they're kind of you know tenth, tenth. You're saying West Ham? They just got to start again. Like they just, they you know they have 37 games this season. They won't count what happened over the weekend <laughs> because you know. There's no point for their own, for the sake of their own uh, mentality and well-being, just forget about what happened on, uh, on Saturday. But, I, I mean, I wasn't there, but I can imagine that there was nobody booing from West Ham's point of view, you know. Yeah, what you're going to do? 30, yeah, 30 outclassed by a team that are, they're just phenomenal. Like, I do understand when people complain about how mechanical and robotic has gone with Man City. And was especially think to have being a Man United fan. But I do appreciate what they do. I mean, they're, Guardiola, like, where can you improve? Yet he finds ways to improve. And I've heard that over the summer, even by Guardiola's standards, he's becoming particularly intense over the past <laughs> summer. And, like, the players thought, fucking hell, like, what more can we do for this guy? But I guess, you know, he has the Champions League thing hanging over his head. He hasn't won it since 2011. And, um, you know, and he won that, won the Champions League twice with what's considered the greatest team of all time in Barcelona. So he hasn't been able to do it since at Bayern Munich Armand City. So he still has that to do, it's that that to prove. But, you know, Messi hasn't won the World Cup in Argentina, you still don't doubt Messi. You don't really doubt Guardiola because he's just that fantastic uh, domestically. And he's just rewritten what it is to be what it is to be a team in the Premier League. Just like Ronaldo and Messi rewrote what it means to score a lot of goals every season. You know, Guardiola has really become like the Roger Federer of football. He's just become this you know, he's near flawless because he's now in the managerial peak, and the only guy that can really keep up with him is Jürgen Klopp, who, if you want to keep the tennis analogy, is kind of like Rafa Nadal, really. So it's Nadal and Federer against the rest, and it's becoming, um, it's becoming two against 18 in the Premier League, you know? Like, it used to be the big four. If, if
1: it's one-on-one on one and then the rest, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it's I, but, you know, and I'm not biased, but I am trying to appreciate what it is, because at least the football is good. At least it's not a terrible league, you know? It's just, I guess, demoralising for the rest of us trying to catch up with the two, because you you easily forget about Liverpool and this. Like Liverpool are formidable; they're phenomenal as well. But it's just City are just so ruthless and emotionless about everything they do. Like, and that itself is probably the biggest intimidation for the rest of us because they they have no emotional flaws, it seems, because Guardiola won't let them have that. Yeah, do you know? Yeah. Well, like it
1: it's just no drama. It's like we said last season, there's, there's, no, there's no story. It's just turn up, no. batter the team you play and do the same again next yeah. week. So,
3: like to the point where you're even questioning the meaning of it all. Like, because Oh, totally. <laughs> they, they, like, they win the league, right? They win the league in May and it goes down to the last day and they win it away to Brighton. And you're thinking, well, how long do they celebrate that for really? Probably a week. And then you go back and it's as if it never happened. Now, I know that's what you're supposed to do. And that's what makes the greatest of great winners. But you're kind of thinking, Jesus, like, we just have to do it again now. And he won't even be happy when we get 110 points. Yeah, yeah. Because the next He'll immediately want 120 points. Like, where does it end? Like, and the, <laughs> the, and the only answer is that it ends with Guardiola leaving, which he eventually will do. And I called it halfway through last season. I'm going to stand by it. And I'm going to remind it this time next year. But I don't think he'll be there this time next year. I, I think he'll finish up this season regardless of what happens. Because I, I don't think he can take it anymore. I, I think he gets sick of his own intensity. Because how could you keep it up? Like It can't be good for you.
1: It's true. I don't know.
3: Look, this is me clutching. It's me clutching. But I I enjoy watching them. I, I do. But, you know, I also find it equally hard to watch. You know? So I, I think West Hammer West Hamer, just one of the, you know, the victims. And it's not even... It's like an indiscriminate victim. Like it's you know, West Ham just happened to be there.
1: Yeah, yeah, That's, <laughs> it's true. And, and like you say, they, they probably won't feel too bad about it. Uh, what about uh, what about with some of the decisions then, lads? Because we had Keith Hackett on uh, recently talking about the new rules. Um, how did you think they were applied? VAR and uh, and of course the keepers coming off their line this weekend.
4: That offside call was awful. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. you know, I feel apparently they've. Um, You've changed the advantage rule now as well um, to the attacking teams, so and the attacking team no, no, no longer gets the um, the advantage. But I said on the pod didn't I? oh uh, last year, I don't mind VAR coming in, but its purpose shouldn't be trying to stop goals. And you know, as I say, freeze frame and everything, and seeing Raheem Sterling's big toe offside, you know, in, in a millimetre of a second. I, I just personally, I don't think that's a great goal. It's like, oh yeah, it's, it, I suppose technically it's offside, but. As I say, if you were stood in nine yards of space, goal line and being completely offside, that's completely different. But uh, that was my one beef with it. You know, it's like for God's sake. I know, I know it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but if you're say say this, you know, the shoes on the other foot, and you're West Ham and it's nil-nil, and you've worked really hard and you get a goal against Man City, and it's ruled out because a player's like index finger is offside. I, I just don't. I personally don't think that's what it should be used for. I think it should be there to assist the referee or to catch any clangers by the referee. What and do you think so, of the
1: pen then? Because I kind of felt the same with the penalty. I was like, "Oh, he's barely got that second foot off the line. He's missed it. They're winning like it's to put them four 0 up. It's kind of like, you know, nobody seems to care. A, Even Aguero was like, "Oh fuck, I missed it. He didn't.
4: That was encroachment, though, wasn't it? That, that's why. Oh, was yeah. that
1: Declan Rice? Was it? Okay, sorry. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah that's what because the, the referee gets to call what what the goalkeeper's doing on the line, but there was there was calls of encroachment. So oh, I think okay, that's fair enough. I think that call actually was right, um, but." But yeah, there's, I think was it one minute thirty-eight second wait as well at, um, at uh, Wolves Leicester mm-hmm. on, on on the Sunday game. And like, okay, it's not much, but yeah. you know, it's damn, near, it's damn near two minutes to rule out a goal, which is a bit sort of soul destroying, I suppose, when especially when it's a nil nil. So, yeah, yeah. And and yeah. I'm so dubious about it. But.
3: And and what's ridiculous about that encroachment decision at West Ham Man City that game was that the rules are if Declan Rice didn't touch that ball, uh, so say if Fabianski put it out for a corner. Then that would have been fine. But it's only because Rice touched the ball that the encroachment was given. Yeah, so, that's right. I, it it's a ridiculous rule. Like in theory, right? I was saying this to a couple of lads yesterday watching the Man United Chelsea game. And I was saying, in theory, right, if it's injury time, okay, and it, you're well into injury time and it's nil nil or whatever, and a bit you're a small team and a big team has a penalty to win the match, wouldn't you just repeatedly encroach? Yeah. Yeah. So that the so that the penalty would have to be retaken. And you'd say, okay, well you'll just get booked. Why don't you all just take turns of encroaching? Like what would happen then? I know it's a big hypothetical and it's a bit silly, but it, you could probably do it, like you could take advantage of this system that we have now.
4: See you could, someone doing it, couldn't you? You could definitely see a manager like um, sort of ball bagging it and doing it definitely. Oh,
3: if Jose Mourinho ever comes back or fucking takes uh, yeah. to Newcastle, he is going to enforce the <laughs> shit out of that penalty area. It's gonna be amazing. Newcastle.
1: Uh, and I'm going to stick with you Let's talk about Liverpool then I mean yeah, You must have been happy With a 4-1 start to the season Even if it doesn't mean uh, You're top of the league Or second
4: Well we were at the top of the league For a bit mate so <laughs> great, you? you know what I mean let's, let's, let's be having it You know Now, um, now uh, Liverpool were excellent For the first sort of Opening hour we, we went out to steam A little bit in the second half But um, In terms of the Attacking play Which is pretty much Where we left off last season um, very creative, plenty of chances being, um, being sort of fashioned out all over the pitch, which was nice to see. The movement was excellent. I think that's what bamboozled knowledge. I um, actually think he played quite well at times, but uh, they just couldn't handle how quickly we were moving it. Um, Henderson, in particular, looked really sharp and energetic, and you could see him sort of setting a tone for how he pressed in the entire game. Um, he was all over the pitch sort of geeing everyone up and chasing balls down and I think he actually missed an interception and you could see him screaming into the air about 15 minutes in so I loved that I loved seeing him you know really fired up um, which is great and I think um, Fabinho was brilliant on the night Uh, he's a bit sort of unsung um, at the moment for Fabinho but I do think he'll start to come into his own and be appreciated there was there was murmurs of interest from Real Madrid at times this summer and and I, I, I look at him as a player and yet he's he's perfectly capable of the physical stuff uh, but his, um, his sort of distribution from that deep role is really important to how we play he's very switched on, very calm you, you you're very sort of seldom see him snatch you the ball and give it away he's always perfectly weighted and neat and tidy footballer and uh, him and Henderson really sort of did set the tone neatly for us um, really really sort of hard to poke holes in the attack if, if on another night we Definitely would have got a couple more Hendersons at the bar. Um, Firmino has a chance. Um, so, th- 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 plenty to be getting on with there.
1: Worried about uh, Alisson at the back? Uh,
4: yeah, so much so that I didn't celebrate Origi's fourth goal because I had my enemy and still really worried about Alisson going off injured. I couldn't believe it. Um, that That is, that is a concern. No, well, they've, they've given the great Andy Lonergan, um a yeah. contract. <laughs> <laughs> um No, that is a concern. Obviously, if you take any world-class player out of a team, it's going to have an effect. Um, I'm genuinely, though, very pleased that um, we've upgraded on Mignolet um, because I just think Mignolet got to a point where he wasn't even making saves anymore. He was just a really poor backup goalkeeper. And um, Anybody who knows me knows I was a big critic of him, but I I said two years ago, I don't even think he's a Premier League goalkeeper. Um, Mignolet and he was available for two seasons and barely anybody made an approach he's ended up back in the Belgian league so I think actually it was really important that we signed Adrian um, towards the end of deadline day, he's not a top class goalkeeper but he he may be able to plug a hole for a few weeks Um, I think the concern for Liverpool is they're being quite sort of cloak and dagger about the severity of Alisson's injury, initially it was six weeks, now it's crept up to eight weeks now Klopp was very guarded in his comments before the Super Cup final about It'd be in a few weeks and him not being ready so it's just a difficult one, Allison's so good with his feet and he's so mobile you just hope that doesn't take anything out of him when he eventually does come back but yeah, you just have to hope that the defence can do enough to sort of protect him that being said, the high line against Man City and the high line against Norwich was a bit of a vulnerability for us I'd say um, especially on the right hand side Trent seemed to be leaving a lot of space in behind and uh, that's twice now I've seen opposition players target that channel for us. And Gomez has had to sort of try and go over and compensate um, for the space left by Trent. And I think that sort of unsettled the back four. You can see Veger van Dijk roaring at everyone, trying to get people organized and back into shape. But I, I don't know. I think Alexander-Arnold is just so adventurous and he's such a, such a live wire going forward that maybe he does need to sort of honor his defensive duties as well. Or maybe there's trying a, 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 sort of a higher line this season to see how they go. Um, but certainly, we, we did look a little bit more vulnerable on the night. Um, and Norwich, had, Norwich had 12 shots, which was worrying. Um,
2: can I ask you a question about uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold? Did, did he play in midfield in the youth teams, or has he always been a right-back?
4: I, I honestly, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure, but he, he's definitely got the uh, technical ability to play further up the field. I've always thought that looking at him.
2: Because against Man City, it was kind of criminal. He was getting caught out with just long balls over the top, like, consistently. And, like, he, for me, he's an absolutely phenomenal footballer. But he doesn't seem to think like a defender at all. Um, so, like, when I saw him first come into the Liverpool team, like, you remember Gerrard played right back for the first couple of months he came into the team. I, I just assumed he was a midfielder that was being played at right back just to get him into the team, if you know what I mean. But
4: he's. Me, a, I think he's always he, been a right
2: back. Yeah, for me, like he, he could be like a David Beckham almost on the left. You know, on the right hand side, with with like his delivery is just sensational. And not even just whipping crosses, but like you know that that ball in for a that that's a pass as such. He sees the movement the beforehand and puts it on his head. Like I, I think he'd be a brilliant. Mid, I think he'd be a better midfielder.
4: I do. I, mean, I made that point at the start of last season on one of the fan sites and. Uh, the overall sort of uh, okay, social media is not a great barometer of of, of gauging fan opinions oh, sometimes, good. but the overall the overall consensus was why change it? He's he's good at right back, but I do agree. And again, looking at looking at those two games, uh, there were times last season as well. He, if you remember, he was dropped for the first leg of the Barcelona game at the New Camp, and I actually thought that was the right decision. Although people accused Cop of showing too much respect, a couple of games before that match. Um, he'd he been really sort of neglig- uh, sort of neglecting um, that right flank and teams have been getting him behind so it is something we're going to have to keep an eye on uh, I noticed I, I personally fought against City in the charity shield um, in the community shield that we looked a lot better when uh, Matted came on for Trent and Gomez went to right back we looked a lot more stable um, a lot more balanced um, so maybe it's something Klopp will look at there's no, there's no indication that he's going to switch his position at the moment so is that going to maybe sort of keep one to watch? Because I certainly thought we looked vulnerable against Norwich in, in a way we didn't for a lot of the time last season. As I say, 12 shots from a, a newly promoted team at Anfield. Allison's made a couple of saves before he's gone off. David, the bar, he scored the goal. You know It, it was just, there was, um, there was definitely an avenue in, which I don't like to see. And I think better teams will definitely exploit it. So well, it, it is something for me to keep an eye on.
3: Isn't, uh, isn't Alexander Arnold's biggest strength coming from deep though? So he gets the momentum to cross the ball in. Like, like, how many fullbacks that marauding, attacking fullbacks these ga- days can actually defend well?
4: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It could just be a modern trait of fullbacks. Yeah. That, that's a that's very good point. You know, you know, Kyle Walker gets used to being a poor defender sometimes, yes, doesn't yeah. he? And, and yeah. neglecting his his flank. Um, Andy Robertson has to work very hard. Um, I, I, if you ever watch Andy Robertson live at Liverpool, he is a real freak in nature because he literally covers that wing. I mean, I don't know how that lad does it, mm. um, but yeah, it's, it's 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 a demand of the modern game. That at the very top, your backs are so important. Aren't they, as an Italian threat. Yeah, but if, te- if those- teams,
2: I, I, I get that, but if teams are starting, if because te- it looks to me like teams are actually starting to target. That's the way to get in at Liverpool,
4: and if yeah, they are. Yeah.
2: He does like. Like, I get your point, Colin. Like, you know, back in the day, a defender's first job was to defend, and then it's, you know, attacking was a bonus. It's probably, you know, it has flipped, but your right back should have some tactical awareness. I don't think it's right to just say, ah, no, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. He can't defend. The counter argument can be if he's putting in double figures for assists every season, maybe it's okay. But, Maybe as a wing back, or even as a right-sided midfielder. I don't think he necessarily has to be bombing onto the ball um, to put the kind of crosses in that he does. Um like I get your point that, yeah, I, for me he he has to improve defensively if he wants to be you know a top top, um, a top top player. Like it's it, you can't just absolve yourself.
3: Like, no, you know. I think you're right. No, I and I think you're absolutely spot on. That they're definitely targeting him. Like the bigger teams are definitely targeting Alexander Arnold because as probably the one real weakness there, and because it is a weakness. But I challenge anyone to name name a, a brilliant right back in the world who's good defensively.
2: Cesar our Well, to probably
3: no, he can't go forward.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, okay. So you're saying he was good at both, is it? Yeah, yeah.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um... I suppose. I suppose you are sort of libertin. Um, one or the other, like you know. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it, it, it's. I suppose that's sort of one for Klopp's mind. Um, I suppose, isn't it? I, Andy and, Robertson. Sort
3: of, yeah, I think Andy Robertson's brilliant, actually.
4: And yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, Andy Robertson's. Andy yeah. Robertson's top class. He he really yeah. is. He's a freaking nature, and as I say. But um, I suppose the only the only way to compensate for him in mean, Henderson. Uh, you often see Henderson dropping it right back for Liverpool and, and cover the ground where Trent leaves. The only, the only problem then is it sort of creates pockets of space further up the field. I mean, you don't want to defend too deep. So there is, it is pro- something Liverpool are going to have to look at this season for sure. Um, and I have a
3: great fact for you. I have a great fact for you for that game. Origi, having scored on Friday night now, right, is the 13th Liverpool player to have scored on every day of the week.
1: <laughs> That's a great stat, fantastic stat,
3: uh, Colm. I'm actually going to stick
1: with you and uh, talk about Spurs because Spurs have had, uh, well, Spurs have had a very unusual summer for Spurs, anyway, where they signed actual footballers and Harry oh. Kane scored in August. So what's going on?
3: Yeah, um, incredible. Uh, well, first of all, Harry Kane has had a rest for the first time since he became established as one of the great strikers in the world. So, he had about six weeks off and he got married over the summer as well. Fair so, enough. you know, he's had a nice summer. He's been given a rest and, uh, you know, it's paid fruition with him scoring two brilliantly taken goals in the second half against Aston Villa. His two first goals at the new stadium, actually. So, that's been, uh, first of all, great Harry Kane, the start that he's had for him and for Spurs. Um, and then for the signings, in yeah, Ndombele scoring the equaliser against Villa and, uh, you know, all round being a, a very good addition to the midfield in that game. So, we'll see how that turns out. So, that's, Looks like it's going to be a very good signing. Ryan Cessinan's a brilliant piece of business, I think. I actually would have liked him at United to challenge Luke Shaw, but um, I knew he was never going there, and I always thought Spurs was a good fit for Cessinan. And then Los Celso. I, can't, I have to admit, I haven't seen an awful lot of Los Celso, uh, but by all accounts, he's absolutely brilliant technically, and it didn't work out from a PSG because of the madhouse that is PSG. There was nothing against him, really. So um, I'm look, really looking forward to seeing him. I think... They really would have gone to the next level if they had secured Dybala. I'm not really sure if that was ever likely going to be on the card. The same with uh, Philip Coutinho. But they look good. But I always go back to it with Spurs. I always just think they're, they're so close to falling apart all the time. And I know they've added a few players this time around. But they've gotten rid of their two backup strikers now. You know, um, Vincent Janssen randomly went to Mexico, to Monterey. And uh, Flander Rente was uh, released. So now they only have um, Son, really, to back up uh, Harry Kane. Troy Parrot baby. know. I, yeah, I hope they give Troy a go, but I don't know if they will, you know. I really don't know if they will. I think he's injured anyway. He's but, better um, than Harry
2: Kane, like, you know what I mean? So, yeah,
3: what?
2: <laughs> he's better than Harry Kane, like. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah
3: absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, I just always think with Spurs that... Um, they're just so close to it all breaking apart. Like, like I'm not really sure Pacino is going to be there too much longer. He doesn't really seem altogether too happy judging what he said in the uh, press conference a couple of weeks ago by saying that maybe my title should be changed to coach and not manager, which is obviously uh, aimed at Daniel Levy and the fact that Pacino isn't in charge of transfers. So I'm not sure how happy he is. Um, Jan Vertonghen was left out of the squad against Aston Villa completely. He was 100% fit. He was just left out. Um, then you have Danny Rose, who by all accounts actually showed up at Watford and did a bit of a Peter on the wingy at it and hoped to get a deadline day move to Watford. I don't know what he was thinking. But luckily for him, that didn't go through. So he doesn't seem he's, like he's too happy. Uh, and Christian Eriksen clearly wants to leave. And that's why he didn't start against Villa. And then when he came on against Villa, he changed the game. And they won the game 3-1. They weren't great against Villa. Villa were brilliant in the first half. Uh, although they themselves, Villa, afterwards, admitted that they have a lot to learn and that uh, the better team won in the end. And it was Jack Greenish dawdling on the ball that, that cost him the game in the end. But I, I don't know about Spurs this season. I know they've improved on paper with the three really good signings that I was mentioning there. But I, I just think it's so fragile with Spurs, you know. It could just go either way at all times. So I don't know, you know.
1: This just all I, sounds so familiar, though, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, but like, have we not? Yeah.
2: We've pretty much been saying that, like, you're right, Colin. I agree, because... I, I agree with your general point, but like uh, on the flip side of that, it's like we've been saying this for three know, years. I they're going to lose all their players, blah blah. But like, it never seems to actually happen.
3: Yeah, anymore. yeah. It, it's the creaking
1: door that won't fall down. You know, it's just yeah,
3: it's an illogical so, feeling. Like, it's just a complete feeling I have that you're completely right, Peter. That like they should have lost all these players five years ago, and they just never lose them. There's something about this. It's like. I really need to break up with her, but there's just something about her, lads. I am just, I don't know. I don't
2: know. Hotel California,
3: football clubs. Yeah, See, that's a good one, actually. Make that the line for this episode. That's a great one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, uh, let's crack on then. And uh, actually, we're going to play the game, lads. You know, you know the the, the classic. I name uh, a player and all the team that he's played for, and blah blah blah, and then you identify who it is. But uh, I've changed it up very slightly for the uh, opening oh, of the season. Very, very. We don't, like change.
4: we don't like change on the football faithful, mate. What are oh. you playing? At? Come on. The in well, the
2: day studio change nearly gave me a panic <laughs> attack the other day, lads. I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> uh,
1: well, this one it's uh, it's not play well, it's not players. It's managers, and I'm going to say the teams that they've managed.
2: Ah, oh. ah, oh, this could be good.
1: Okay, so <laughs> it's the same format. Basically, I say a whole load of teams that a manager has managed. And then you tell us who the manager is by the team that like he has it. managed. It's a lot harder to say that actually than the player one. Anyway, uh, so manager number one began his managerial career at Newcastle United. Nobody. He went Peter. from Peter. Peter. Kevin Keegan. It is Kevin Keegan. Oh, for God's Newcastle. Say. Newcastle to Fulham, then England City, and of course back to Newcastle in 2008. So, uh, right, this next manager began his managerial career at Arezzo. Two spells there in 2006 and 2007, and then went to Barry Column,
3: Peter
1: Column,
3: Antonio Conte. It is
1: Conte, very good. This ex manager then began his managerial career at Millwall, Peter Peter Mick McCarthy. It is Mick McCarthy, hey, big, oh, Mick. <laughs> big Mick. Then he goes went to uh, Republic of Ireland, Sunderland, Wolves, Ipswich, and back with Dorland now. Right, that's it for now. We'll come back to that and get your skates
0: on. This episode of The Football Faithful is brought to you by Carling. Now, we've all gone to the bar to buy a drink, and carrying one glass, well, that's okay. Two glasses, that's alright too, but three and things start to get a little bit difficult, you need to start doing that little triangle, and four, well, that's pro-level pint carrying. But Carling, how come up with a solution? They've got a new glass that has got lots of little grooves in the top, and a narrower bottom, so that means you can carry four. No problem at all. So, next time you need to go to the bar to buy a round, make them a carling.
1: Peter, I'll go to you with this. Manchester United 4, Chelsea <laughs> nil. Didn't see that one coming.
2: Nope, absolutely did not see that coming. It's weird. I'm I'm almost so invested with being negative about Man United now. You just don't know that, what to um, do with yourself. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of like win-win. I'm still happy when we win, but if we lose, I'd be like, "Yeah, I told you so." But, um, yeah, no, it's kind of. I was just I was saying to you earlier as well, Sam. It's quite weird because you know throughout the last kind of fifteen years or so. If you beat Chelsea 4-0 on the opening day, you're kind of feeling, yeah, we're going to win the league. I don't feel like that at all, despite you know having a really, uh, a really good and impressive result yesterday. I'd say this is the first season I've got into in my lifetime, if I'm perfectly honest, that I don't think Man United have any chance of winning the league. Even last season, because we finished second, I know it wasn't going well, but I still kind of thought somehow we might pull it off. Um, I I don't feel like that at all. Um, this year I'm kind of glad we had to cancel the pod last week because I would have went on a pretty ep- epic rant and I would have been looked pretty foolish. Um, <laughs> after yesterday's game, but yeah, look, like, it was a strange game, really. Um, yeah, you know, or,
1: or Chelsea were decent, weren't they? Especially at the start of the game
2: for for sixty minutes. Yeah, they yeah. they fell to pieces. You know, the, the two goals in such quick succession, kind of kind of just knocked them knocked them out and they they fell apart but like the first 20 minutes they they looked to have a much clearer idea of what they were doing in terms of their tactical approach they were passing the ball around well um you know Rashford started a bit nervously but at, after he got the penalty he absolutely spanked it home a, a superb penalty but overall like, like Chelsea were very unlucky to go in at the break one down they'd had They'd had more, chan- they'd more chances than United. They hit the post. They hit the bar. Um, I thought, <clears throat> you know, with United, it's quite strange because people are saying that we're playing a pressing style now. And, you know, I'm not sure Marshall is... <laughs> you know, energy and pressing aren't two words you'd normally use to describe Anthony Marshall. So it was a bit surprising to see him playing through the middle. So him and Rashford were kind of pressing. But then our, our defence... we Like, our defence was almost on our own 18 yard box it was like we the defense was kind of playing a counter attacking style and then there's probably a, a 60 70 yard gap between the forwards and the defense and the midfield were just kind of in no man's land i thought we were completely Especially in the first half, we we were, you know, midfield still looks very light. Not strengthening there is going to come back to bite us further into the season. And um, Pogba looked like a player who didn't want to be there in the first half, although he massively improved in the second. And McTominay and Pereira were kind of outclassed at certain times. They were left chasing shadows, if if I'm brutally honest. But and and that's kind of a structural thing that it even happened during the Mourinho days. That we're just not really a cohesive unit. There's these massive gaps between the different departments and the team. It's so obvious to see, and there was so much space out there yesterday in the second half. Now that same space worked to our advantage in the second. Um, you know, Rashford, Rashford, brilliant finish. Martial got a good goal, and um, good ball in by by Pereira. Um, but yeah, it's still, I suppose, on the on the positive side wan started really well. I'd kind of questioned whether, I know he's a great defender, I'd kind of questioned that, you know, would he have enough in terms of his ability on the ball to play for Man United? Because, you know, with Crystal Palace, you're sitting back, a uh, Roy Hodgson team, you're defending, you know, all the time, a bit like that goalkeeper who plays for the, you know, one of the teams in the relegation zone looks class because he's getting balls banged at him all the time. Um, but he, he he looked good on the ball and it really encouraging. You're not going to be getting by him too easy. And then Harry Maguire obviously got man the match. Um, but
1: I thought that was a bit it, of a funny one. You,
2: you, yeah, do you was. know what Sam? He didn't really like. If you ask me what to, like name a couple of you know actions or you know things that Harry Maguire did during the game, I could probably couldn't say much. But it was just. So nice to have a defender there that when he was on the ball and he was taking a couple of touches, you weren't going get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. You know, yeah, you I was, I was
1: afraid he was going to be basically like a Phil Jones Mark two when he was signed because I have never been fully convinced by him, and still, you know, I'm still, I'm still not, but I was impressed by him on the game on the day. It was yeah, and
2: uh, see, impressively, I, I think, like he, 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 you know, he came in there. Um, and he was straight away ordering people about, pushing people into positions, screaming at people, which is good to see because there is just obviously clearly a lack of leadership and mental fortitude within that group of players. So having a big character like him in there is is definitely a bonus. So I, I, I like I said, I, I'd agree it was a bit strange he got man to the match, but I would on one hand understand why, because it's just the presence he brought almost, but it was just for any Man United fan, it was a big step up to have like, a really competent centre back there that you trusted, but having said that, Chelsea kind of they created a lot of chances during the first period. Like United had four, five shots on target in the entire game. They scored four goals. You know, you're not going to keep that up every week. So on the on the negative side, I think we looked really really short. Uh, um, you know, in terms of of midfield, and there's still quite a few. I'm not still not entirely sure, apart from like buzzwords, what exactly this Man United team is, because, like I said, it's like the midfield, the attack, and the defence were playing three different styles yesterday. And that that's you know, if you're going to be all the talk. Preseason was that we're a pressing team. Well, then the whole team presses together. You know, your defence comes further up. We, we were. We were on our own 18-yard box for way too long yesterday, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I just kind of had to look. It was brilliant to get the season off to a four-nil win. You can't ask for much more, but you just kind of have to the feed them from that game that, you know, on paper. I, I texted into the group beforehand. That's probably the weakest Chelsea team I've seen to come to Old Trafford mm-hmm. since, yeah, since um, you know, since Abramovich took over. So. United were already going under pressure going into that game and it would have been even more pressure if they hadn't if they had a lost to that Chelsea team considering how inexperienced it was. You just got the feeling that Chelsea got into found so much space and got into so many good positions that a better team would not have have let us off the hook, you know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah. Um, um... Getting a good result, but not getting carried away. I I do feel more confident in general that we'll be able to challenge for the top four, though, because if you had a talk to me last week, I probably would have said we're finishing fifth or sixth without a shadow. Yeah, yeah. I think
1: someone was saying mid table, even. Um, Colm, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, well, Lukaku went. Do you think that was a strange one? And Pogba is still talking about how he's, you know, not definitely sticking around.
3: Yeah, Lukaku, uh, what a strange one.
1: Well, I, in terms of letting him go without bringing someone else in.
3: Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, I was wondering what Pat I, changed. I do think it makes sense that he left. But yeah, of course, that we needed a backup. And like, I am, I'm very mindful that we're, football is so reactive now, or football fandom is so reactive, you know, because of social media. So we're, you know, as three Man United fans here, and Man United fans all around, we're probably speaking on their behalf here, is that, you know, we're elated because we just beat one of our main rivals 4-0 in the first day of the season. So it's great. But we're going to have really tough days ahead because of the squad that we have. You know, it could be as soon as the next game we're away to Wolves. That could be really tough for us. Um, and that's, I think, you know, when we get into, you know, I always find like November and February are two very tough months in the Premier League because there always seems to be a game every three days then. And I think that's really, like those type of months, you know, for, really, well, really from November to February, you find out a lot about your squad. And I, I think we're, we're going to have dark days there when, Marshall, and Rashford just aren't doing it and there's nobody like Lukaku now, I wasn't really a Lukaku fan but he did have his value in that he was a very good goal scorer when everything suited him down to the ground you know and he's provided for and I am concerned that we didn't replace him now with Mario Mandzukic which was the deadline day rumour that never really took off but there was talk of it I wasn't exactly a head over heels of that either because I, although I do think Mandzukic is a far superior player than Lukaku technically he doesn't have much mobility, and I don't really see where he'd fit in with the the new look United inside But, you know, it's very difficult to find a number nine now. Uh, that player is becoming, not obsolete, but it's becoming uh, increasingly seldom that you see it at the top level of the game. Yeah, and that's true. so we have to kind of move away from the idea of a number nine, you know. I mean, I, like a, a modern day number nine is the player who wears number nine for Liverpool in Bobby Firmino. You know, you're doing everything, really. So I guess is it better to bring in a player for Lukaku just because we need another player, i.e. Manzukic, or is it better to leave it off? He left it off, Solskjaer. Now, it might not have been his choice. It probably wasn't his choice, but that's what's happened. I'm not delighted about it. I would have liked someone else in there. And for now, as we speak, 24 hours after winning corner on our first day of the season, it's fine. But I do think we will run into trouble with that, with our squad up top. And like you mentioned Pogba there as well fully agree with Peter, it was such an odd game you know, there's the old adage of you have to win your midfield battle to win the game that's the only thing that we weren't good at yesterday Um, I read a stat earlier that uh, Jorginho and Kovacic had made more passes than United those two made more passes than United's three in midfield, Pogba, McTominay and Pereira, so we are weak there, and I also agree with Peter in that Pogba looked disinterested, I actually even think he looked disinterested in the second half but he's just such a naturally good footballer that he... He just know, found himself
1: on... in those positions and it was like, all right, well, this is what yeah, I do then.
3: What else am I going to do? Not play football. Because the ball's at my feet now. And he played an absolutely brilliant ball over the top for Ashford to make it 3-0, which killed the game. And then he showed lovely composure uh, to set up Daniel James for the fourth goal. When, you know, he just stopped running because he didn't have the legs for it. Or he couldn't be bothered. You really don't know what Pogba. But I, I, he clearly doesn't want to be there. like I mean, that's blindingly obvious to me anyway. And I would go one step further and Peter and say he didn't want to be there for the whole match. So, I, he definitely wants to leave and it's clear that he wants to go to Real Madrid to hook up with Zidane and that could still happen. But I don't think we're going to allow that to happen. And if we do, then we'll really have a problem if we do. So, look, I'm going to revel in what's been a great start to the season or a great first day of the season because as United fans, we've had a, a pretty turbulent six years and particularly the last year. And so, I'd be happy for now. But, I, I'm very wary of this season, very wary of it. And, and for the record, I, I do really like our three new signings, and not just because it all worked out well for them yesterday. I think they're three really positive signings. And like, you learn more as a football fan, as well, when you get older, I think that you, do, you are willing to sacrifice a bit of talent for players who really want to be there and are very positive influences, and a bit of youth as well. And with the three players that we signed, we have all of that. So they're, they're positives, and when Pataka is genuinely a quality player, yeah, I thought so, he was great. I thought he was very uh, good. I'm actually concerned, I, I, I'm a little bit
2: concerned by a la- I said it last season as well, uh, you know, with the obsession with youth. <laughs> I saw a stat earlier Je- Jesse Lingard was Man United's oldest yeah, outfield that. player yesterday. Uh, I,
3: just, I don't mind age, whatever about age, right? I just want leaders, you know, and we've been leaders for a long, long, long time, yeah, And yeah. I think with I'm not saying Harry Maguire is the messiah. And we don't know how he's going to turn out long term, but it's a good. Like Peter was saying, he didn't do anything in particular, but his sheer presence alone made us just so much better because he knows what he's doing. He's a guy who knows what he's doing. Something that you never get with Chris Smalling or Phil Jones. You know, like I wouldn't. I wouldn't.
1: Uh... I think having having like a, the. I don't know if he's the. I guess he is the number one England centre back in oh, the team. It? Makes a big, actually makes it a big is, difference, yeah. even just in in like in terms of what he can get away with on the pitch, but, and even the way he was covered. I thought it was really weird. Actually, I don't know. I mean, he uh, he he got the man of the match, and I don't know if you saw when they went back to the studio after they uh, went to the quick interview with him. I can't remember your man who works for Sky, the the guy who was hosting. It just went, ah, lovely guy, and he comes from a lovely family, doesn't he? So yeah, I'm very. Pr- I was guy. like what the fuck is yeah. this shit? Like, <laughs> what are they talking about? I was like... What a <laughs> like, like, weird way of covering it. He's got <laughs>
4: lovely hair. <laughs> He's
1: a lovely young man, isn't he? Isn't he? I'd let him date my daughter, wouldn't you? I
4: was
1: like, what are you talking about, you weirdos? Like, <laughs> yeah. just move on.
3: But, like, what with Maguire what you get is what you never have with Smalling and Jones. And I wouldn't be, like, I'm not as big of a critic of Smalling and Jones as, like, a lot of United fans are. Like, they aren't good enough to play for United. And we've known that for a long time. But I think the biggest weakness that they both have, and especially with Smalling, is that they never look confident. And, like, you just can't play at that level with that look about you, you know? And aesthetics mean a lot, like, when you're a central defender. Because that it filters onto the rest of the team and it certainly filters on your opponent and I think with Maguire you have a player who look, he knows what he's doing Like he's going to make mistakes he's going to have bad games but he's like you know, he's like village in that way he, he, know, he wants to be a defender he wants to defend and that's a good start it's a good sign but I, I, I'm going to hold judgment on this season no, because I think much. we're going to have a lot of downs but, yeah, you yeah. Know, so far so good you so
2: excitement though when you get a corner now so. as well that's true yeah Big Harry's, big Harry's coming up. He is so dominant in, but in, in both boxes as well. Um, yeah, listen, he, like he, you know,
1: and we conceded a shed load of goals from set uh, pieces last year as well.
2: So, oh, yeah. so he, he's definitely gonna, he's definitely gonna gonna have a big impact. He he is a big, he is definitely a big plus. And um, you know, it, you could, you can't ask for more than 4-0 But it, yeah, my my concern really is is, is that midfield. Yeah. Um, Like, I don't know. There's no, you know, Solskjaer can say everything's great. And, you know, sometimes I feel like Solskjaer could be in a house burning down and he'd still be sitting there talking about 1999. Like, no approach seems to work. Mourinho was, you know, spiky about not getting the players he wants. He didn't get them. You know, Solskjaer is telling everyone everything's brilliant. He's still not getting, you know, United need a lot more than the three players. They signed and Colin was talking about the striking options you know, neither Rashford or Martial has has really done it over a full season before. Um, Martial maybe in his first one. So there's going to be problems there when, you know, they're young players, they'll suffer dips in confidence that an older player w- wouldn't wallow in a- as much. And I just feel that, you know, there's this... Solskjaer saying, oh, well, you know, we let Lukaku go because we want to bring Greenwood through. But th- that, even then, that's only like three recognized strikers. You know, even back in 99, his favorite year when, you know, when squad rotation wasn't such a big thing, United had four experienced recognized strikers. Um, And I feel for the likes of Greenwood because kind of saying about leaders as well, you know, there's this whole thing about the class of 92, Man United, we play young players, we play young players. But like the class of 92 came into a team with Schmeichel and Keane they were. It was easy for them to come
1: in. Yeah, all Pallister they, and Bruce and Robson because, and all these players who were there. Probably,
4: you know, they were easy to in pieces, as well weren't they? I think Ferguson was a master of sort of easing them in when right? when Manchester United got into a position where they were three or four nil up in a game with twenty minutes to go. You would always see Ferguson sort of give a young lad a really valuable 15, 20 minutes out on the pitch. Yeah, you see suggest- that. If you can't just chuck them in and hope for the best, that that's that- the thing they do need. Yeah, to-
1: they didn't have that pressure where they had to perform exactly. and they had to get the results.
4: And social media, social media, you've you've so much footage of Greenwood now. Where twenty years ago, if Greenwood was in the academy coming through there'd probably be a handful of people who'd seen them play, but there's so much footage and expectation on these lads.
2: That's true, uh, yeah. You,
4: you can't just chuck them in and hope for the best, you know. And plus, they'll be pillared if, if they
2: don't play well on social media, but that's kind of my point, is that, you know, it was an easier introduction. And I wouldn't say there was no pressure on the, on the kids when they came in. They did have to perform, but they came into a much more stable environment. Whereas, like, they had Keane and, and Schmeichel to look after them out in the pitch, for example. They don't have that at the moment with United. You know, our, our star player is it's crystal clear. He doesn't even really want to be there. I'm not sure what kind of that example that leaves. If Solskjaer is telling people, oh, I got rid of Lukaku if you don't want to be here, yes. Pogba seems to be indulged, even though he's been trying to get out of the club probably since a year after he joined, really, um, or rejoined. So I feel for Greenwood and the younger players because they're going to be thrown in and expected to deliver straight away. Now you'll always say at the top level that young players have, you know, they have to take their chance, but I just think. There might be too much it's not the best of environments for them young players to to be coming into for seventeen to be told seventeen year old to be told you know you're one of our main strikers now realistically you'd play him in the cup competitions and stuff and maybe if there was injuries but I just feel i feel there's going to be too much pressure on 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 the young players um and it was absolutely criminal not strengthening not threatening a midfield or, or signing a replacement for Lukaku or why the Lukaku deal was dragged out the Maguire we paid what Leicester wanted even though we waited all summer and he was our number one target just that's that, that's just, the
1: classic uh, the classic Woodward move isn't it i mean i'm surprised we didn't end up going for what's his name at uh, at spurs after the uh, release clause had gone up or expired. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, um, we'll move on from United because, well, we could be chatting about that for ages, and I'm going to go to you just very briefly, and it'll sort of take us on to the next game as well, and that's, uh, well, Chelsea, we didn't talk a whole lot about them. Frank Lampard, of course, uh, his first game in charge in the Premier League, and uh, a funny one, that David Luiz left uh, so close to the end of the season when they're not able to sign players, and then went to Arsenal. That's a weird one to seem to be sort of strengthening a a top-four rival.
4: Yeah, it, apparently there was a conversation, wasn't it, between Lampard and Luis about um, a week or so before the transfer window closed, and he he, he randomly said, uh, "Oh, you, you're not necessarily going to play every week," um, which is, I suppose, it's okay. He's thirty-two, and new managers come in with new ideas, but I suppose you manage that a little bit better and say, "Look, you're not going to play every week, but you are going to play. You're going to be an important member of the first team, I and mean, you you try and use a player like that." I mean, certainly. The, the jury's Altmayer. Louise is a great defender, but he's certainly a decent defender.
1: And he's certainly and think, uh, he's he's a he's, he's a character. I mean,
4: yeah, he's, yeah, he's 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 and he was very popular. I mean, apparently the um, the Chelsea physio phoned him in tears as he was about to sign for for Arsenal, and he was um, he's clearly a very sort of popular guy. And I I don't understand the logic in strengthening one of your top six rivals. Do you think he will strengthen
1: them then, or is it just going to be comedy gold?
4: It's hard to say, it really is hard to say, because as I say, I still think the jury's out on whether Luis is a good defender, and I don't mean to be bad, but I think it's it's similar to Maguire, I, I'm still not 100% sure I think Luis needs a, uh, needs a top-class defender next to him to be really, really solid, a bit like Maguire, that, uh, on an initial assessment looking at him, and Arsenal don't have any top-class defenders so it'll be interesting to see whether he's just going to be sort of fighting fires and, and doing bits and pieces, but whether the overall shape and and piece of Arsenal improves at the back it's hard to say but it certainly was a strange decision especially with a transfer embargo um, in place at Chelsea and um, you know Lampard's going in and he's either being very brave or very naive and putting his massive faith in young players maybe having a player like Luis there who's 32 and a big character maybe that helps And um, losing him you, you are losing a big presence in the dressing room and a guy who's been there and done it all before um, for Chelsea in two spells. So it, it certainly is a gamble. Um, certainly is a gamble. And especially, uh, I think Lampard's got every right to be fuming about that result. I mean, I, I personally didn't think they were as good as what everyone else has said thus far on the pod. I thought they were okay in flashes, but very sort of scattergun. In Who, the United
1: post. or, or Chelsea? Chelsea?
4: Chelsea. No, Chelsea. I, I thought they created a few chances hit the post, but... Um, didn't really seem to press with any intelligence, it was kind of pocketed pressing and there was no sort of awareness of where the second ball was going to end up and they were they were quite rough in possession especially in the second half, very sloppy uh, overplaying it at times as well um, and then you've got a player like Asper Laquetta and he, he completely switched off with the first goal and then it was clearly affecting him for the, uh, sorry, for the second goal and then it was clearly affecting him for the third goal and that's one of your more senior players and you know, but to go to Manchester United with such a young team and such an inexperienced team, you do need your senior players to step up, and maybe having someone like Luis there in the back to to sort of orchestrate things, and and again a guy who shouldn't be phased by the big occasion, maybe that would have helped. So it's going to be certainly be very very interesting to see um, how they'll go under Lampard this season. I think that there's going to be a steep learning curve for him, and I've said it before. I think it's either going to go. Very, very good or very, very bad, and on the first evidence of of uh, Sunday, it's not encouraging for Chelsea fans, I'm afraid. Uh,
1: column then quickly on to uh, Arsenal, who beat Newcastle away one nil. It's job done, result got, I guess. And uh, Pepe came on at the end just for a bit of a cameo, but that was exciting, and I think he'll be a good signing for them.
3: I love their jersey; it's class. That's my best thing about I'd say about Arsenal. <laughs> uh, no, it is class. To be fair, yeah, it is. Isn't it? Um, I always get I, I always get asked about Arsenal actually on this. I find that interesting, but are they um, they yeah, like they look they look handy, don't they? Um, like I, I was saying all last season when I was talking about Arsenal on here that they're kind of going under the radar because I think everyone had Wenger fatigue and as a result Arsenal fatigue when Wenger left, you know. So Unai Emirates has kind of gone on with it relatively quietly last season. Bar the odd major result, both positive and negative, I think he's done a fine job there considering the circumstances. Like, Lauren Koscielny was a bit of a shit show over the summer. He's uh, unveiling in Bordeaux was ridiculous. I don't know if he saw that. but yeah, uh, yeah. Unbelievable. And then the whole Koscielny-Ozil security thing going on there is pretty funny. So, they've dealt with that fairly well. Um, Aubameyang has been an incredible signing. Also pretty low-key, brilliant signing. He's now scored uh, 33 Premier League goals in his first 50 games in the league, which is insane. That's an insane rate. Again, if, you know we're living in the Ronaldo-Messi era, so it's not that impressive. But... Overall, it's fantastic, and he took his goal very, very well. Uh, Nicolas Pepe, I've only seen glimpses, a bit like Lo but looks quite good, and uh, I think David Luiz is an absolutely brilliant signing for Arsenal. I know he's a bit, I know he's completely erratic, and when he's bad, he's very bad, but when he's good, he's excellent, and they finally have a defender with a bit of personality. Like, Like Arsenal's defence is so meek, a bit like United's defence, and you know with Harry Maguire and David Luiz respectively like you're getting two defenders who are very different in the way they go about their business but they're they're big game players you know? like certainly Luiz uh, has proven it over years and years and it and is a winner is a proven winner so that's a huge selling for Arsenal. and i know he's 33 but 8 million that's a bargain and then they got Tierney for 25 million from um, Celtic i don't know if you heard um the former uh, Chelsea striker, Pat Nevin, yeah. Pat Nevin was saying during the week that he reckons Tierney is a better left-back than Robertson already, uh, which is a massive call. So he's saying that, you know, whenever Arsenal do sell him on, they'll get a lot more than £25 for him. So all around, it's great for their business for Arsenal. So on paper, they've done very well. That's a good first result away to Newcastle. That's actually the first time Arsenal have played away from home on the first day of the season since 2011 which is also at Newcastle. That time they they drew nil-nil. But this, this is a big three points. And I know that Newcastle, even by their standards, are in huge crisis at the moment. But uh, that's a big win for Arsenal. That's a really good win to start. And I think they're nailed on for top four. I think they, they I think Umer, uh, Emery has signed really smartly. Uh, I know Aaron Ramsey's a big loss for them. And they, they will definitely have their bumps down the road. But I think they've added three very good players. To, and they also have Sabellas, which... We really don't know how that's going to go for him in the Premier League. But three out of the four of those guys it looks good. Like, they they're, not, they're They not. have a lot of improvements to make still. Their midfield, like United, also isn't the best. But I think they look quite good. I think they're marginally better than United and Chelsea.
1: That's funny that you have them nailed down. I think we've all got City nailed down as champions. Um, but I'm going to just uh, ask you, lads, quickly for your top four. So, Colm, give me, give me the rest of yours then.
3: Well, I'll give it an order. So, it'd be... I think it's going to be the same top two. I think it'll be City and Liverpool. And City will win it by about five or seven points this time. And then I think Arsenal will come third. And it's so tight for fourth. I'll pro- i I'll, st- I'll go with Spurs. I think Spurs will get it.
1: Okay, Peter? Uh,
2: City, Liverpool, Fuck oh, <laughs> Tip and Chelsea last week, but I might have to reconsider. Yeah, I'm going to go at Spurs and I'll go Arsenal.
1: Okay, and... and? I'm
2: not sticking my guns at
4: all here. <laughs> it's funny, it, it, I think it's a, it's a great pitch by Colin for, for, for Arsenal, but I, I'm just not sold. Um, I, I can't see them getting in in the top four. I still think it's erratic and I think they are mentally weak as well, which needs to be addressed. Um, but um, I would say top four... Would be City, Liverpool, Spurs, and I think United have just got the edge over Chelsea and Arsenal. Looking at them, I know there's there's, there's still a work in progress, but I think overall they've they've got more quality than uh, than Chelsea and Arsenal from what I've from what I've seen so far.
2: Yeah. yeah can they... I just quickly say as well, Sam? To be fair, just I wanted to get in before Colum, uh when Colin was talking about Arsenal, because like we started this pod a couple of years ago and generally all we've done is take the piss out our Arsenal. and <laughs> they just, they've deserved pretty much all of it um, <laughs> I think you have to say credit it's credit's due they absolutely smashed this transfer window like for a club that I know people will say they structured their deals but for a club that let everybody think they only had 40 million to spend you look what they did in the transfer market
1: yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's been really, really, really They're good.
2: Strengthened everywhere. Like they signed a fella for seventy-two, and it's such a, a smart. Like it's the opposite of Man United. Like you go into the neg- negotiations. Oh, but sure, everyone says we only have forty million. You're not going to be able to ask us for a high fee. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah, true. United, like, like we've got
1: loads of money, but <laughs>
2: well, but what do you mean for asking us for high prices? Well, why would we pay high prices? Because we're the richest club in the world. Yeah. 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 I think they they played the transfer market brilliantly, so hats off to them, to be fair.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, We're almost at the end of the show, uh, and we'll do, of course, Prick of the Week in just a second. But first, round two of the quiz. This is where I name a whole lot of teams that a manager has managed, and you tell me what manager that is by the team that he has managed, which is seriously difficult to say. Uh, Right then. Uh, Peters winning 2-1, Colm, yeah, Colm, you're on one, and Anstin to score, so... Uh, this player began his managerial career at Sheffield United. Column, column, T. Bruce. It is T. Bruce. Very good. Uh, Huddersfield Town, Wigan, uh, Crystal Palace, Birmingham, Wigan again, Sunderland, Hull, Villa, Wednesday. And uh, and Newcastle, right? It's uh, well, it could be head to head, depending on who gets this. If it's Peter or Cullum or Ant if you please don't get it right, Ant I mean, just stay <laughs> up if you don't mind. Uh, right, this next manager began his career at Millwall.
2: Peter. Peter. Dennis Wise.
1: It's not Dennis Wise, no. Cullum, do you want to come in with that?
3: No, no. Next
1: one. Uh, Millwall and then Arsenal. Peter, Peter. George Graham, it is George Graham, there you go, well done, Arsenal and then Leeds and then Tottenham Hotspur, so well done, Peter's won it 3-2, congratulations to you, and uh, Cheryl, I'll stick with you and you can tell us who your prick of the week is.
2: Yeah, a bit of a strange one this week, doesn't involve any Premier League shenanigans, but I heard this story yesterday and I just couldn't. I had to include it. So one of our uh, most talented riders here at the football faithful, Harry Diamond, um, plays. I can't name the amateur team he plays for due to legal reasons, but he plays at a decent level um, in Manchester. And as you know, during the summer, you know, in Ireland and in England, a lot of councils will take down goalposts and stuff from from you know, corporation fields. So, for their first pre-season uh, friendly, they had to rent a pitch. So, they were showing pictures of the pitch. All the rest was about an hour away. They went to a, a fella who, ran, who runs a company renting out pitches and, and facilities and stuff. So, they got, they got to the pitch yesterday to play their pre-season friendly and the pitch hadn't been marked and there was no goals. So, it was effectively just a field right? <laughs>
1: Jumpers for uh, goalposts.
2: Yeah, so they had to uh, they had to cancel the game, and the fella who <laughs> rented the pitch to them had turned off his phone and done a runner. Oh
1: no! What a prick! What so, a yeah, prick!
2: To, yeah, so you, I can't, I I can't name him for legal reasons, obviously, but uh, yeah, that was that just stuck out for me as the biggest prick moment of the week. worst yeah. worst all them fellas, you know probably all real pros probably only had four points the night before or something you know Dave? it's it's uh, yeah
3: it's graceful, carry on Nothing awful more, awful, but, awful, yeah, awful
1: awful uh call but, him uh, yourself
3: um I, not in a negative way because it's the first weekend of the season so it's you know everything's great um i was tempted to go with morgan schneiderlin's uh, tantrum that he threw at Sellers park when he got sent off or just before he got sent off for everton like, the kind of tantrum you have when you stand in an upturned socket mm. and you just go mental. But, like you know, that's kind of a lovable prick. So, I, my out-and-out out prick of the week will be uh, one of the rules with VAR that we discussed, actually, with Keith Hackett is the handball accidental or otherwise. That It's ridiculous because Wolves had a perfectly good goal disallowed away to Leicester. With, with Bowley's alleged handball and then Dan Dunker finished it. But, like, the guy jumped in the air and the ball was right next to him and they hit him in, the I think, the back of his forearm, maybe. And it was uh, went to VAR and was ruled out. But it looked like a completely legitimate goal. And it's ridiculous. That would have been a huge win for Wolves. And Brendan Rodgers afterwards said, you know, as a Leicester manager, was very, very thankful. And he was saying it in the tone of, that he knew that that goal should have stood, and yeah, it would have yeah. stood every other season ever. Now I get like I, all in all, I am in favour of that, uh, and it does eradicate the infuriating mistakes that everybody's team is the victim of at times. But I think that handball rule. I think the handball and the marginal offside rules need to be uh, reviewed again because it's becoming ridiculous. Like like you can't. What are you supposed to do with your arms? You exactly
1: know. what what's an unnatural yeah. position for your arm yeah. to be in apart from like not attached to your body uh yeah. and then yourself yeah
4: um mine's a dual a dual award prick of the week and um it, it just goes with me almost sort of launching me uh me, me tv out the window 75 minutes into liverpool norwich <laughs> if i had to listen to martin tyler and jamie callagher say knowledge won the second half one more time and um, just because <laughs> they had nothing else to say and Carragher uh, panicking every time you know like uh, a Norwich player had a shot or something happened and Carragher's trying to make out like Martin Skirtle and Glenn Johnson have resurrected themselves and dragged themselves back into the Liverpool team and it's all going to fall apart almost willing it to happen oh, if you like then I
2: pray for that
4: yeah. yeah yeah exactly you pray for it Kadega's an extra red you expect better from him so yeah what a pair of pricks
1: fair enough love that Uh, Right. Uh, make sure you head along to thefootballfaithful.com everyone and uh, you'll get loads of great content throughout the season we'll be back with a new episode every single week so make sure you subscribe on wherever it is that you get your pods whether it's soundcloud or itunes or spotify or wherever else we will appear in your feed every single week Uh, just time to say thanks to peter thanks peter
2: cheers lads enjoyed that
1: thanks col cheers lads
4: Nice one, lads.
1: Cheers. And goodbye for me. We'll see you next time.